0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, the 23rd chapter. first eight verses, we see the exploitation by the world, verses 1 through 8. And then we see some other things as we progress along. Association with rebels, verse 9. Unprincipled in business, verses 10 and 11. And uh, verses 12 through 26, the strict school of wisdom. And then on down... I'd say verses 27 and 28, from 26 through 28, we have uh, immoral relationships, and then 29 through 35, victimized by drugs. We have the story of alcohol there. All right, let's look at verse 1, and we'll try to pick it up verse by verse as we go along. Notice it says here When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man uh, given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainies, for they are deceitful meat. These first three verses teach us a great deal. We need to exercise caution in the presence of a ruler. And especially, uh, we're to- taught here that God, God's restraints of the appetite... Or only to say, do do thyself no harm. We have to be restrained at all costs. Notice how drastic he gets. He says, put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. We need to be practicing restraint. And really, it's better than an appetite out of control. An appetite should be bridled. We should learn how to put away some things and eat other things. And especially in the spiritual realm which we're speaking tonight. Remember, Peter tells us to, uh, some things to leave off and some things to, to have in First Peter chapter 2. He says, wherefore laying aside, here's what we're not to have, not to feast on. He says, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And then he says, here's what we're to have. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. That you may grow thereby. So where some things we're to restrain from. And some things we're to take in. And when it says the sincere milk of the word. It means the unadulterated. The pure milk of the word. The pure word of God. And that's the kind of food we need to eat. So look at these three verses again. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler. Consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to thy throat. If thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties. For they are deceitful meat. Remember there was one that said that he refused to take of the king's meat and the wine which he drank? Old Daniel, purposed in his heart. There's a purpose. There's a determination in the heart of some to live like God wants them to live. In verse 4, notice what it says. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Labor not to be rich. Here's selfish accumulation of wealth. Some men by their own wisdom think that this is the only goal in life is to... It's to obtain wealth. God intends for all of us to have the necessities of life. And Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So it's just a matter of getting what's right first, isn't it? And God has given most of us more than we really deserve. Paul said, Having therefore food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Most of us have that much. And we can be thankful. We sang the song, Count Your Many Blessings. And when I look back on my life, I can count many, many blessings. And I'm sure most of you can. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? You know, riches are extremely elusive. You have them one day and they're gone the next. It says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I didn't know that's the direction they went, but I knew they could fly away. You? But they do disappear, don't they? They're very elusive. Riches. I've known people in the past, and you have probably too, that were well off financially materially. And I've experienced preaching funerals for some of them, and they had not enough to put them in the ground. They had not enough left to supply their needs. I remember one person, and some of you would probably knew, know if I were to, definitely if I'd call her name, but maybe even just by telling. She had a son that spent all that she had on alcohol. When her husband died, she had uh, she had uh, bonds and stocks and, and uh, business places and material possessions and Plenty to take care of her. And in a very short while, she'd come to poverty. She ended up in the care center down in Roswell. Preached her funeral down in Carlsbad. But you know, you can blow it pretty quick. Especially on that kind of a thing. By the way, before we get to the end of this chapter, we'll see what uh, alcoholism does too. At the latter part of this chapter. And you know, I don't particularly point out things... To uh, as a subject to try to get on anyone's case. I just teach the whole word as it comes along, and if I come across that, that's what I'll preach. You know, just the same way as I come across. If someone says you don't preach on tithing, when I get there, I do. You know, I just wait. I don't go out of the way to bring it up every time. And a lot of fellows they just can't have a sermon without preaching on tithing, and they get out. They have to take things out of the context to reach out and grab it. Well, why, why do you do that? Why don't you just preach what's before you? And eventually, you're going to run across every doctrine in the Bible. If you preach the Bible, you don't have to worry about it. Someone says, you never touch on that. Well, you just wait until run across it and see if we touch on it. So, anyway, we're talking about uh, here riches. Now, verse uh, 6 says, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. A stingy host... For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. You find a man that's a strange host or a stingy host. He tells you to have all you want, and then he calculates the cost all the while. The fellow tells me that he wants to feed me. Well, I say, well, I'll eat what you do. You know, I'm not going to go overboard. The thing about it is, uh, here is a picture of a man that really is trying to put on a front, but he really doesn't care about you. Look at the context. It says... Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up, and lose thy sweet words. And you know, these proverbs have a lot of good lessons, don't they? From the practical standpoint, if we'll apply these things to our lives, it'll teach us a lot of things. Now then, in verse 9. We have association with rebels. Once not you look at verse 9. Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Pearls of divine wisdom are not to be cast before the swine of this world. Jesus said, Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. It's our duty to take all fit occasions to speak of divine things, but if what we have to say, and if what a wise man, a man has to say will not be heard, then it's time to hold your peace. If no one wants to hear the things of God and about divine things, if they shut their ears to it and they will not accept them, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Let me read that one in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now that's in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, savage haters of the truth and righteousness, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, the impure the coarse who are incapable of appreciating the priceless Jesus of Christianity. Don't just throw it out there. It is brought into contempt and its professors insulted when it is forced upon those who cannot value it and will not have it. It's brought into contempt. You don't force the Word of God or... Christ and His salvation, the finished work of Christ, Christ and the cross, upon people that will not have it. You don't disforce it all. We've got a lot of this arm twisting going on nowadays. That's not the way to do it. The Holy Spirit's the best convictor in the world. And He'll bring things to light and knowledge of salvation to hearts and lives if we preach the Word. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ died on the cross He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That He paid the price. It's finished. You don't have anything to add to the work of salvation. It's already done. And on the other hand, you just don't force it upon someone. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, and then they believe on the Lord as their own personal Savior. The Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Look at this next verse. So we find that uh, uh, association with rebels, and then beginning with verse, uh, verse 10 and 11, unprincipled in business, remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty, He shall plead their cause, their kinsman Redeemer. Their kinsman redeemer is what is mighty. He shall plead their cause. The kinsman redeemer offers special protection to those that are fatherless and the widows. Remember the kinsman redeemer in the case of Ruth the Moabitess, Boaz in the Book of Ruth, chapter two, and verse twenty. And Naomi said unto her daughter in law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. And it says, one that has the right to redeem. And then in the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth, there's a whole lot that's said about it. Let me just read a few verses, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake. He said, you know, Boaz said, there's another kinsman closer than I, and he has the right to redeem. So they went in the place of judgment or at the gate of the city. And and it says, uh, And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, this may well represent the law, and said, Sit ye down here. And they said, They sat down, and he said unto the kinsman, Naoma, uh, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants, and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. You know, there's a beautiful picture here of salvation by redeem- or redemption by the blood of Christ. Get the story. The law has the first right to save us, but the, what the law could not do, Jesus did. See, the law was that this first kinsman redeemer, he, could, he had the right to redeem. And he could buy all this inheritance back to Naomi, and, and including uh, Ruth, the, the Moabitess, the daughter-in-law. He had the right to do it. But notice what happens. It says, Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy, buy it also of Ruth of Moabithes, <clears throat> the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. You get that? You know why the law couldn't redeem a lost and sinful mankind? Why could not the law do it? The law would have to come down and And we we have not kept the law, have we? And the own inheritance, the inheritance of the law or the standards of the law would have to be reduced to meet man's sinful condition. So we had to have one who would fulfill all the law and come and redeem us from his curse, like Boaz did in the case of Ruth. Lest I mar my own inheritance. What could the law do? The Bible says, for what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, because all men are sinners, Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh for a sin offering, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So we have redemption by the blood of Christ. And this is exactly what Boaz did. He took the second place of redemption because the first place belonged to those that had the right to redeem. That's one that had the right to redeem. The kingdom said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. I cannot, I cannot, he said twice. And Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do. I cannot. Christ sending His own Son did. didn't He? God sending His own Son. And Christ's coming did that for us. Alright, let's look at the. We could go on and uh, say further on the story, but down in verse 10, it says, Moreover, Ruth the this, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. There was a purchase of her as well as the inheritance that was at stake there. Alright, let's go back to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. It says, Remove not the old landmark or old boundary. And enter not into the fields of the fatherless. God is prepared for the fatherless and for the widow. For their Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. So this near kinsman offers special protection for the poor and the fatherless, the widow. Now then, verse, 13, uh, verse 12 says, Apply thine heart. By the way, verses 12 through 26, we're going to have uh, the strict school of wisdom. There's a whole lot of things that will develop. It says, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Notice, apply thine heart and thine ears to the words of knowledge. You have to receive these things. You have to be willing to listen to instruction. And you have to apply thine heart unto instruction. You have to listen to words of knowledge. Are people ready to hear the word of God today? Are you ready to hear what is taught? Are you ready to hear what is preached? Are you ready to receive it as you read it? And then apply it? We don't want to just hear it and not do anything about it. We don't want to just hear it and forget all about it. So this means a real ear to hear, and a real heart to receive, and a real intention of carrying it out in our lives. All those three things. And then it says uh, in verse 13, We've come across uh, neglect in discipline. Neglect in discipline is seen here. Look at verse 13. It says, uh, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Correct needs to be. There's instruction, there's correction. You know, God expects us to be instructed. He expects us, as His children, to accept His correction. It says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. That's death, or sheol, right here. It doesn't mean the, the literal hell of Gehenna in the New Testament. But you'll save his life. And of course, in the spiritual sense, you'd be saving him from eternity without God. As well, but the word here is Sheol. It says, My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. If thine heart be wise. You have several things here. Instructing, correcting, encouraging. If your heart is wise. And then it says, Yea, my reins, my inmost being, shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. My inmost being, the, the seat of the deepest affection. The Father said He would really rejoice deep down inside when your lips are brought to speak right things. If a son is wise and a son listens and a son obeys, it makes rejoicing for the parents. Look at those two verses again. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. It'll make me happy. And it says, uh, yea, my reins, the very inmost being, shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Then here's a warning. In verse 17, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Don't envy sinners. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. In other words, things are going to turn out right. The believer's expectation shall not be disappointed. The end of his trials and of the sinner's prosperity is at hand. the sinner will... Receive the end of His due, as well as God's children. For surely there is an end. There's a time that there will be a reward. The Bible says in the marginal reference, reward. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. Look at verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Three things. Here's three great precepts. Hear, be wise and guide thine heart in the way. You have to put these in the proper order. The first thing you need to do is hear. Hear thou, my son. What does the word of hearing do? It produces wisdom. Uh, remember Paul said to Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Hear, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among winebibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, some people do not do not keep company with. Be not among and among. Notice the word among is twice over in this verse. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. Those that are banqueting all the time and just having a high heel time, so to speak. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. Shall come to what? Poverty. And it says, And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Drowsiness means that uh, he's lazy. He's like the sluggard that will not plow for reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. The Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Watch him prepare his meat in the summer for the winter time coming on. Look at verse uh, 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. This teaches the responsibility of children to honor their father and mother, their parents. Hearken unto thy father. That begat thee. You know, we learn a lot from fathers. And despise not thy mother when she is old. We learn a lot from mothers. And they're both to to have our respect. And by the way, fathers and mothers are to honor their children too. We're to honor children. There's other scriptures, and I won't take time to look them up. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Fathers, provoke not thy children to wrath, lest they be discouraged, and so on. But anyway, just to, to talk about it a little bit. You know, We have a lot of good young people, wonderful young people. My wife was telling me the other day about Jenny coming over and asking how she was at the car when she's sitting there after her legs were hurting real bad and visiting with her. You know, we have a lot of sweet young children here, very sweet. And they're all over the church here, and many more of them that are not here tonight. But I'll tell you, we should respect those that are trying to live right for God. And we'll have some more to say about that when we come on down here and talk about the drug situation. It says in verse uh, 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. In other words, hold, hold the truth so dear to you that you will not get rid of it at any cost. Do not sell it. Buy the truth and sell it not. Be indoctrinated in God's Word. Be grounded in God's Word. And let it... Uh, Be uh, filled in your heart. And then, do not get rid of it. Don't lose it. Don't sell it at any price. Some people sell out too cheap, don't they? Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Look at that. Also, not only the truth, but wisdom. It comes from that. And instruction and understanding. Someone says, well, how am I going to receive instruction as to how to live this life? Right here. Right here in God's Word. That's the instruction you need. The Bible says that all Scripture, listen, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for what? Instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. That means mature to grow up and be well uh, grounded in the things of God. Uh, may be perfect. Now listen. truly finished unto all good works. It didn't say unto some things the Word of God will guide you but unto all good works. You say, well, if this person is taught to, to have good works in his life, where did he get that teaching? You got it from the Bible. That's where you got it. Someone says, well, I got it from this science book, or I got it from this uh, book on philosophy, or this book on something else. If it was any good, it, it was Bible grounded in the first place. And I'm not saying it was. It may not have been that kind of book. But your instruction to live the right kind of life comes from God's Word. The Bible said, Jesus said, Let your light, He didn't say make it, but let it. If you've got one in there, you can let it. Let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that comes from where? Inside. We say, little boys and girls used to sing this song. This little light of mine, I'm going to, what? Let it shine. Let it. And then it says here, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. My, what a blessing it is to have children that try to live right, try to live for God. They have the inward feeling, the outward testimony, they have the love and the consideration of others. It says here, My son, look in verse 26, My son, give me thine heart. What does God want? What does the father want? Give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Now then, if a father says that, now God tells us to do that, and we know his ways are right ways. But this was a father speaking to his son as well. If a father says this, his ways better be correct. Don't say, son, observe my ways. Let your eyes observe my ways, and my ways not be the right kind of ways. Right? If fathers do not set the right kind of an example, it's not a very good thing to to uh, tell those children to follow. If the father sets the right kind of example, he can ask that of his children. This old business of doing as I say and not as I do just doesn't work. Most children want to see you do what you say. And by the way, that's the same thing with the, from the pulpit too. You've heard that old adage, practice what you preach. And we must do that as Christians, not only as pastors and teachers, but as, as laymen, as Christian men and women, boys and girls. We have to practice what we preach. Now then, he begins to give uh, some immoral relationships here, and he warns against it. He says, for a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increases the transgressors among men. Immorality in our world today. And there's plenty of it. It's on every side. And we're losing the battle on that nowadays, because people think that almost anything that's popular is acceptable. But you know, if God were to judge today like He days, did in the days of the Old Testament, it's a, it's a good thing that this is a day and age of grace, isn't it? You talk about fire and brimstone falling on one place in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. It would be falling on many cities in our nation and probably in many places. It would take the whole county. It would take several miles of it to wipe it out, wouldn't it? But God is not in any hurry. And the Bible says that judgment is His strange work. But I want you to look at these last verses about victimized by drugs, beginning in verse 29 through 35. Victimized by drugs. It says, "Who hath?" notice these questions. Who hath woe? Woe. Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? What does alcohol cause? Woe, sorrow, contentions. Who hath babbling? you ever seen a fellow that was drunk, inebriated, and just black, babbling about everything? Woe and sorrows. Who hath wounds without cause brought upon him without any reason whatsoever? Wounds without cause. Who hath redness of eyes? You just keep on asking the question. And then the answer in verse 30. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. You see that? It says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. It means avoid it. Look not when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Like a poisonous snake. Alcohol is the number one drug in America today. It's the number one. We see here the first thing. There's mental anguish and social anguish and and physical anguish. Look at verse 29. Mental anguish. Who hath woe, who who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling. That's mental anguish, isn't it? Babbling. Who hath wounds without a cause. That's social as well. As... Physical, who hath redness of eyes? You know, when your eyes are red, they burn and they sting, especially as a result of alcohol. You have mental anguish, social anguish, anguish, and physical anguish here. And there's more, more to come in the, before we finish the chapter. And it tells us here they that tarry long at wine, the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine or mixed drinks. And it says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, when it is fermented. And by the way, I could make a case and show you that the the wine that was taken by Jesus and the others at the, uh, in the book of John at the marriage feast definitely was not intoxicating wine. We won't have time to go into it, but it wasn't. And then... It says, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. I didn't see that bunch getting drunk, did you? Jesus and Mary and uh, and all the ones that are friends went to that wedding. And of course, there's a spiritual lesson in that, and you've heard me teach it before too. But the thing about it is, don't just try to... You know, a lot of people will pick up on that in John chapter 2 and use it as an excuse for their alcoholism. And then they'll take the Scripture where Paul said... Uh, to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. And they take that out of the context too and misuse it. It tells here what will happen. In verse 33, Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. you ever seen a person that was uh, drunk, full of alcohol, and at the same time he would speak perverse things? and he was lustful. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. The picture is a drunk, as a, of a drunken sailor who falls into the sea and drowns or goes to sleep in the crow's nest. It says, or that he that lieth upon the top of a mast. We used to call that place where you crawl up real high and look out as a crow's nest for some of you that were in the Navy. And what is he going to do? He's like he falls into the midst of the sea and drowns or he... Uh, one that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. He's insensitive. He gets in a fight, but does not feel the blows to his body. You know, they say that a drunken man, when he's driving the automobile, sometimes he's the one that escaped because he just rolls around there and he doesn't feel the blows like a person that's sober. If there's any advantage, I guess that would be it. But... Uh, We'll get into some more of that in a moment. He says, I was beaten. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. It's ha- habitual. It's habit forming. This 35th verse shows this, the uh, other anguish that we find. Spiritual anguish. They, shall, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. I'll have a few things I want to read about it before I close. A few little stats here. In Habakkuk 2 verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, and puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken. And let me say this, for a Christian to be in the alcohol business, and even a bartender, or even having a business that sells alcohol, is unchristian. It's not the right thing for a Christian to do. You need to get another business if you've got one like that. You need to get out of that business. That's the devil's business, not yours. And heavy drinking has become as American as the Super Bowl Sunday. And in this that I'm reading, it says the latest Gallup poll on American drinking habits only confirms the suspicion that something is radically amiss. 81% of adults say they, they considered alcoholism to be A major national problem. Eighty-one percent of the people in our country believe it's a major national problem. And one out of three families reported that alcohol has caused trouble in their families. One out of three families. One out of three. Alcoholism is the third largest health problem in our nation today. It is said... To injure directly the lives of one out of every four or five Americans. To injure the lives of one out of four or five. When it comes to ethical values, the use of liquor, liquor contributes to our present moral crisis. It is a mood-altering drug that quickly affects the part of our brain that controls inhibitions. It is easier to disobey one's own moral standards. It's that every 22 minutes... Listen. Another life is lost to a drunken driver every 22 minutes. Since we've been preaching, two lives have gone to a drunken driver, at least, or three. The cost of our nation is that. The cost to our nation is estimated at 50 billion dollars per year, and that was 1989. Think of what it is today: 50 billion dollars a year. Beyond this inordinate statistic lies the ruined and priceless lives of millions of men and women and children. Gallup poll details that one of out of every three persons reported that alcohol has caused adversity in his or her family. Heavy drinking is involved in 60% of all violent crimes, two-thirds of all violent crimes that are committed. Alcohol is involved. Heavy drinking is involved. 30% of all uh, suicides. And 80% of all fire and drowning accidents. 80% of the people that drown are killed in a fire. Alcohol is involved. Staggering, isn't it? The suicide rate of alcoholics is 30 times that of the general population. Thousands of people are killed and millions injured every year in automobile accidents caused by drinking drivers. There are over 15 million reported alcoholics in America. 15 million reported, and the number continues to, to rise. Survivors of divorce in our courts show that 50 to 60 percent of the divorced population had drinking problems as a contributing cause of their marital difficulties. 50 to 60 percent—that's half of them, over half. Of them. They talk about—you know—there was a, what attorney general that wanted to legalize drugs. You remember the lady? Here it says, the, the stats during the prohibition area, 1919 to 1933, crime during this period decreased 55%. During pro- prohibition, it decreased 55%. And the death rate due to alcoholism decreased 43%. They say it doesn't any, do any good to prohibit. I think it does. Uh, the stats show it does. After prohibition was repealed, drunkenness increased. More than 350%, 350%, and over 50% of all fatal traffic accidents are alcohol-related. Can you imagine that? You better dodge, hadn't you? Drinking drivers kill 24,000 people a year. We didn't lose that many in Desert Storm. A sedative, a depressant, it slows down people's reflexes, it's a narcotic, it's a poison, and anyone who consumes enough to be impaired is one who has overdosed on that drug. It's not the falling down drunk who's killing people on the highways. That guy falls down and he can't go anywhere. It's the social drinker. The person says, I'm just a social drinker. It's the social drinker. The person who's been out to lunch or he's returning from the ball game or has a couple of beers and gets into the car and drives. That's the social drinker. Friend, it's the social drinker, the person who can afford both to drink and to drive. It's not the homeless or the poverty-stricken who are causing all the fatalities. It's the social drinker. It's the cocktail crowd. It's the kid coming from a prom or a graduation party. Well, that, that should wake us up, shouldn't it? I don't want to bore you with this, but I want to read a few more things. What can we do about this? First of all, we need to educate our kids not to drink, not to even start. Practice total abstinence. So I say to you boys and girls today, the best thing is to say no. I promise with the help of God, by the grace of God, I'm not going to even taste of it. I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to try it. I don't want to experience it. Just don't have anything to do with it, period. Just say no. Absolutely, I don't want any alcohol. And the reason? Just say, I've seen the effects of it. I know what it does to people. And because of that, I don't want to drink it. I didn't really come here tonight to bring your whole sermon on alcoholism. But anyway, studies show that blood alcohol level is uh, only uh, 0.035% can be reached with only one drink. And the the results in the decline of visual acuity, and in execution of simple and complex muscular tasks. And by the way, most states define intoxication at 0.10%. Yeah, you're pretty well, pretty well lit, as they say, if, you, if you're that much intoxicated. It's a proven fact that small amounts of alcohol affect hand-eye coordination more than mental and verbal act, uh, activity. That means a person may be aware of impaired performance, and we know What that often results in when such a person gets behind the steering wheel of a car. I just have a few more things, and I'll close this. Good or best wine that is usually uh, observed at the beginning, and referring to the the, uh, marriage that Jesus attended in Cana of Galilee. While the older and more fermented wine would be brought at the end. At the same time, people would be less likely to notice the difference. It is fascinating to notice that the governing officials at This wedding immediately recognized the good quality of the wine which Jesus made from the water in the water pots. The word wine in the Bible needs to be carefully researched and evaluated.